Gospels. <clears throat> Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of St. Luke. St. <clears throat> Luke, the sixth chapter, and verse 46. I shall never forget the day when I first read these words. Oh, I'd read them countless times. But I mean the day I first read them. St. Luke 6.46 Jesus is speaking and he says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord and do not the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not the things which I say. And I want to use for a subject the gospel of self. A seemingly strange title and yet so accurate and adequate for today's believers. The gospel of self. Would you bow your heads please? Father, I come to you humbly today in the name of Jesus. I ask that you would help me to choose my words by choice of the Holy Ghost. Help me to walk carefully before you, speaking only those things which you want and desire to be spoken. And help me to preach accurately and clearly and with boldness today. Father, I need your anointing. And I would also ask that you would anoint the people that they would hear and receive your word today. And I'll ask it all, giving you the praise and the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. <coughs> In Matthew chapter 7, the 21st verse, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And of course, if you go on and read the remainder of that text, you will see the response of the Master to those people, he will tell them, depart from me, I never knew you. And our text today from Luke 6, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? There is a group of people within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking to unbelievers, he's calling to people, he's talking to people that call him Lord. And we see that there is a group of people within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ who call him Lord. But like the children of Israel so long ago, when Moses was up in the top of the mountain where the presence and the glory of God was, they were down at the bottom, the base of the mountain, having church 
worshiping a calf they called Jehovah. Aaron too heard the call to climb to the top of the mountain and he chose rather to stay with the people because he was more comfortable with the people than he was in the presence of the Lord. I hope you're listening to me. Sometimes we develop our comfort zones. We draw lines with God. We say we will go here but no further. That's what Aaron did. And somehow he was persuaded <clears throat> to collect their jewelry and their gold and all of this and produce this calf, this idol, and then name it Jehovah and say, Behold Jehovah who hath brought us out of Egypt. Notice he didn't run back to Egypt and the people of Israel didn't run back to Egypt. They just went down to the base of the mountain where the presence of God wasn't. They were enthralled with the miracles. They were enthralled with the signs and the wonders like many are today in the church. And they felt comfortable in a miracle atmosphere because you can hide sin in an atmosphere of miracles. But if you get into the glory of the presence of God with sin in your heart, it will be exposed. They were too afraid to ascend the mountain. So they stayed below worshiping a Jehovah that they had created, but it was not the real Jehovah. I wonder how many today worship a Jesus that they have created in their thinking, created in their minds. They have philosophical ideas about Jesus Christ, but it's not the real Jesus of the Bible. I often say this, and if you've listened at me for any amount of time at all, you've heard me say that God is not who you think he is, and God is not even who you want him to be, and God is not necessarily who you would like him to be. God is who he has revealed himself in his word to be. If we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to have to serve the real deal. We're going to have to serve the Christ of the Bible. And the world is filled with people today who are so deceived into thinking they're serving the Lord, but it's not the Lord. Because they have some idea of what he is, and in reality, he is so very different. Many today who attend church regularly, read their Bibles, pray, speak with other tongues, they're full of the Holy Ghost. But I'll ask you a question, is Jesus your Lord? It's one thing, my brother and my sister, <clears throat> for you to call him Lord, but do you live your life in submission to his lordship? The word Lord that we read in Luke 6, 46, comes from the Greek word kurios. And if you'll look in your strongs, 
It defines this word as supreme in authority and master. Jesus was saying here that there would come men and women who would confess with their mouths that he is supreme in authority, but the lives that they are living do not bear up the words they are speaking. Dr. Summerall used to say a, a little thing that I liked, and I've never quite forgotten it. He said, we sing about Jesus coming back soon. We preach about Jesus coming back soon. We talk about Jesus coming back soon. We make our confessions that Jesus is coming soon, but we live like he ain't never coming. As we enter into this brand new millennium, the year 2000, which I believe is to be 12 months of transition to take the church from where she has been to where she needs to go. As we enter into this, the cry of the heart of God is to submit to the supreme lordship of Jesus Christ. And I'm talking to all believers of every denomination, of every stripe, irrespective of the church that you attend, if you are born again, if you are a follower of Christ, then you must submit to his lordship. In America today, and even in some other parts of the world, many preach Jesus as Savior only. You know, we've done just about everything in the church, uh, the church world of today <clears throat> to fill our altars with converts. We want to, you know, we want to fill our churches with tithe mem tithing members, you know, people that pay their tithes. I've sat in church meetings where the major topic of conversation was we've got to get some new families in here that will pay tithes as if that was all that really mattered. And of course, that's foolish. And I'm not demeaning the importance of paying tithes. The Bible teaches tithes. The Bible teaches giving. The Bible teaches offerings. The Bible teaches prosperity. But the most important thing is to get those new families into the church because alcohol's tearing up their home and drugs is tearing up their home and their kids are rebellious and they're out there in the streets living like hell itself. Let's get them saved. Let's get Jesus in their hearts. Glory be to God. And let's see their lives changed. Yes, you teach them to pay tithes. But you see, we're more interested in converts than we are making disciples. And, and you, some of you may not like what I say, but that characterizes a great portion of the church in America today. We are interested in signing people up and joining them to us, but we're, we're little concerned about making disciples. That's why the church is in the quagmire that she is in in this nation. We've done anything to fill our churches with converts. Our message has become, come to Jesus and get. You get salvation, you get peace, you get love, you get joy, you get prosperity, you get health, you get success. 
We have cheapened the gospel to a solution to life's problems or an improvement of your lifestyle. We have enticed sinners by preaching to them only the blessings to be obtained by following Christ. Jesus has almost been sold like a salesman trying to meet his quota. To do this, we've often bypassed repentance to gain a convert. So converts we have, but what kind? You following me? We've got people, we've got converts, we've got members, but what kind? Do we have 100% sold out, committed disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ filling our churches these days? Do we have a radical, world-shaking, world-changing, revolutionary force known as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we have that? Jesus said, and, and I'm going to try to paraphrase this or try to get it from memory, Matthew 23, 15 from the New International Version, Jesus said, you travel over land and over sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. Converts are easily made. But are they truly sons and daughters of the kingdom of God? You know something? The majority of the people are coming into the kingdom of God today with their own agendas intact. Because we have preached to them, come to God and get. We have not spoken to them the words of Jesus Christ. When he said, if you want to follow me, there's only one way you can do it. You've got to die You've got to take up your cross daily and follow after me or you cannot be my disciple. You cannot function in the kingdom of God in your own agenda. We have preached a gospel of self. Self-aggrandizement, self-improvement, self-exaltation. And we have produced self-seeking converts but not disciples. I hope you're hearing Brother Paxton this morning. This is not an easy message to preach. It's, it's not a popular message because we want to focus so much on our needs. And God, let me, let me say this to you. God loves us and He loves us on our needs. And God, let me, let me say this to you. God loves us and He wants to meet our needs. It's important that we're saved. It's important that we're delivered. It's important that we're healed. It's important that we're blessed. It's important to God that we are prosperous. But the focus of being a disciple of Christ is in laying down our lives for the kingdom of Christ. That's what we're missing. Of course we want to be saved. Of course we want to be healed. Of course we want to be blessed and prospered. Yes. But what are we willing to do in Jesus? I'll ask you another question. Why do you seek God? 
Why do you want to know God? Why do you want to be saved? Why do you attend the church that you attend? These are questions that every believer needs to address within their own spirits. Are you serving, are you worshiping the real Jesus or a Jesus that you have created? By what we have lived and by what we have preached, we have spawned self-seeking converts, not disciples. We have not, church, we have not boldly proclaimed the price of following Jesus, at least not as loudly as we have trumpeted his benefits. Jesus made it clear to the multitudes, he said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Notice here Jesus does not say whoever desires to lose his life for my sake will save it. Just desiring to lose your life is not enough. There are many who do not attend church who would gladly receive the benefits of salvation if only they could keep their own lives too. So many people today realize there's a price to pay to serve God and they're not ready to pay it. Then there are many people who are in the church who call him Lord, who declare their submission to him, but they have hidden idols in their heart. They love their hidden idols of the heart more than they love God and they live the life of a hypocrite. I want you to consider some things with me today. I want you to notice how different the ministry of Jesus and the message of Jesus was and is from what is being preached in America today. You know America today is haughty and fat. In Mark chapter 10, we'll see how Jesus handled one young man. In verse 17, he said, Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? The first thing I want you to understand is that this man came running after Jesus. When he arrived, he knelt before Jesus. Notice the two words, running and knelt. He didn't casually stroll. I've seen altar calls in foreign nations of the world where thousands and thousands and thousands of people, sometimes even before an invitation is given, will get up out of their seats and run across the grassy corridors of a football stadium and run and fall prostrate in the presence of Jesus Christ in the altars. And in America, I've seen altar call after altar call where you can't hardly get anybody to get up out of their seat. I believe America has become so sleepy. I believe we have become 
so stupefied. I perceive that we have become so hardened to self-agendas that we have been deceptively deceived. I use that phrase to indicate its deadliness. We think we're all right. That is the danger of deception. We think we're serving God. When in reality it's not God. When in reality it is some God that, some idol that we have created and it has mounted the throne of our hearts and it has lulled us to sleep. This young man came running and knelt and asked Jesus what he needed to do to get saved. I can see him running through the crowd, wrapping his arm around Jesus, kneeling with great passion, pleading, what shall I do to be saved? There's a thousand drug addicts crying out that in America today. There's a thousand alcoholics, a million, a million drunks, stumble bums, asking the same thing today, calling out to the church, what shall I do? What does the church answer? What would you answer? This young man was intense. This rich young ruler did not casually meander up to Jesus with a cool, reserved, and intellectual tone asking him. This man was serious about getting saved. Good teacher. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is uh, good but one, that is God. And this wasn't flattery. He wasn't trying to flatter Jesus. I believe that this rich young man had integrity. He knew that to call Jesus Lord, he would need to do what he said. Many Christians today don't even have this much character. They may call Jesus Lord, yet they will not do what he asks of them. They smile when they hear the word preached and they say amen real loud, but they don't apply it to their life. They're sitting in churches everywhere, you know. They sing the songs of the church. They sing about the blood, they sing about salvation, they sing about victory, but they don't apply it. They have ears to hear, but they do not apply what the Spirit of God is saying to them. Many times they, they even feel in smug self-satisfaction that the message is appropriate for others, perhaps, but not for themselves. They are hypocrites. They try to remove the specks from their brothers and sisters' eyes while a log remains in their own. That's what Jesus said. Watch how Jesus ministered to this intense young man wanting to get saved. You know the commandments, he said. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, 
All these things I have kept from my youth. Jesus here quoted the last six of the Ten Commandments, all of which deal with a man's relationship to each other. The young man eagerly rep replied that he had kept them all. Hmm. We see his heart in approaching Jesus. But I want you to understand that Jesus purposely omitted the first four commandments. The first four commandments deal with a man's relationship with God. To have no idols before him is the first one. Nothing in our lives should come before our affection, our love, and our commitment to God. This young man had not fulfilled those commandments. Nor at that moment would he be willing to. You see, Jesus had exposed the idols in his life. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, take up the cross, and follow me. I want you to notice how Jesus loved him. The word says Jesus looking at him loved him. How did Jesus show that love? You see, that's a big issue in the church today. Sometimes we soften our message and water down our gospel in the name of love. We say, well, we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I want you to know today that Jesus loved this young man. But how did he show his love? Was it by making his message easier for him so that he wouldn't offend him? Would Jesus show his love for this young man by failing and refusing to confront the idols of his heart? No. Why didn't Jesus just have this young man pray the sinner's prayer? Thinking, well, maybe he'll forsake his idols at another time, at a later date, you know. Like Pharaoh, one more night with the frogs. After all, this rich, wouldn't it be so beneficial if this rich young ruler would come to our church? He's so intense. Man, what could we do in our church with a rich and an intense convert? All Jesus had to do at this point was draw the net, and he would have had in his church a wealthy, prominent Christian. But Jesus loved him. I mean, he really loved him. What did he do? He gave this man the truth. A very strong word, running the risk of losing this excited, powerful, rich, young ruler. Jesus looked in his eyes and told him that he lacked something. And what he lacked was not zeal or power or prestige. 
What this young man lacked was the readiness of heart and mind to forsake all that he had, to forsake every opinion, to forsake every philosophical idea, to forsake every idol within his heart and sell out completely to Jesus Christ. That's what this rich young ruler lacked. And I'm preaching to you this morning. That's what the church in modern day, year 2000 America lacks as well. We lack commitment. We lack dedication to anything except our own agenda. Oftentimes, not everybody, thank God, not everybody. If you, if you hear this and you say that I, I said everybody, you're going to be lying. Not everybody, but far too many. Far too many of the average churchgoers today have their own agenda. What would you do if Jesus told you right now there's something you're lacking. And if you held on to it, it would keep you from salvation. What would your reaction be? What would your reaction be right now if Jesus looked into your eyes and laid his finger on something that's in your life, something that's in your heart, an idol that you have built there and touched it and said, if you don't turn loose of this thing, if you don't turn loose of this thought, if you don't turn loose of this opinion, of this idea, you will go to hell. What would you do? What would you do? This complete side one, turn the tape over for the continuation of this message. What would your response to Jesus be? Would you try to confess it away and say, and think it was the devil bringing condemnation onto your life? I know a lot of people that would react that way. Would you say, get behind me, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus? How dare you mess with my idol? We snicker, we smile, we laugh, but it isn't funny. It's a sad, sad condition that the Spirit of God is trying to shake you and I as individual believers in this day. He's trying to shake us out of it so that we can serve the Lord in spirit and in truth. If you truly love someone, you are truthful, even if you know they will reject you. Look at, look at the young man's reaction in Mark chapter 10. <coughs> Mark chapter 10, verse 22. He was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. This man, this rich, young, powerful young ruler, who was so eager, now walks away from the master that day, sorrowful. Oh, Jesus, how could you do that? The man came so excited, and after hearing you preach, he left sad. Don't you know, Jesus, that you're supposed to end your services on a positive note? 
Don't you know, Jesus, that your preaching should lift people up and make them feel good about themselves, not sadden them? I've never understood how the church today is trying to make the flesh of man feel so comfortable and feel so good when the Bible says we are to crucify it. We are to mortify the deeds of the flesh and yet we go into so many churches today and the flesh and the ego of man and the pride of the idols of the heart of man is just simply pumped up to the nth degree, man. And we leave with these inflated egos and these deceptive overtones of our great importance in the kingdom. Don't you know, Jesus, that your attendance is going to drop if you keep treating eager, rich, powerful people like this? Go after him, Jesus, and soften it up. Surely he'll come back after a while. Now I want you to know, <laughs> that's, that's just about what Jesus would hear from most church boards in America today. Most church boards, most committees, would have brought Jesus in front of them and requested his resignation. How dare you offend this potentially big tither? Don't you know we got a building program going on? Don't you know we've got a television budget to meet? Don't you know we're wanting to go on radio all over the world? Why don't you soften it up? They would, they would treat the Son of God like he didn't understand principles of building and success and when in fact he authored them when in fact Jesus is showing the true way of salvation but we have replaced the way that Jesus shows listen to me now with ways of our own Oh, maybe Jesus should have preached more messages on self-esteem. And as I said a moment ago, why should we esteem what God told us to crucify? And yet that message is big and powerful in the church world of the year 2000. I heard preacher get up the other day over television and say that man's biggest problem the biggest problem with man is low self-esteem. That's a lie. I heard another one say, as he stood on t uh, one major Christian television network, and he said, as preachers of the new millennium, we think it is so uncouth of us to even mention the word sin. We need to build people's self-esteem. That's a lie. I'll tell you right now today, the problem with man and the problem with mankind and the problem with society and the problem with the world has always been and is still now sin. And man needs a savior or man will die lost and burn in hell and that's the problem. You cannot educate someone 
into the kingdom of God. You cannot educate their intellect. You cannot uh, counsel them into the kingdom of God. Psychology won't work. And then we've got some empty-headed people that have tried to attach the word Christian to it and call it Christian psychology as if that made it right. It's not right because it's an attack against the cross and it's saying that Jesus didn't do enough to solve the problem of mankind. We've got to add our two cents worth into it. That's a gospel of self. Jesus did enough. His death, burial, and resurrection is enough to save every person on the face of the earth to clean up your life, to straighten out your idiosyncrasies, and set you rightly on the road to glory. It's enough. And there's nothing that you or I or anybody else or any preacher or any pastor or anybody else can add to it. Jesus did enough. Glory to God. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Man's problem is not self-esteem, low or high. Man's problem is sin. The heart of man's problem is the problem of man's heart. We have fallen in the church of America. We have fallen into the trap of doing anything, anything to get a decision. Now, decisions are great as long as they're based on truth. Most people come running up to us on the streets and saying, what must I do to get saved? You'll just say, well, come on, say the sinner's prayer. Most people in the church world today would say, now, come on, brother, pick up your checkbook and follow me and this gospel that I preach. Jesus said, you know, Jesus said, come on, take up your cross, follow, you know, lay down your life, take up the cross daily and follow me and you shall be my disciple. And the message of most of modern day American church world is this. Come on, pick up your checkbook, follow me and this other gospel that I preach. You and I have got to realize today that God never called us to broaden the gospel, making it easier for all the people with idols to get saved. Idols must be forsaken. Jesus must be received as Lord, not just as Savior. I want you to watch closely what Jesus does after this rich young man walks away. read it to you from Mark chapter 10. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible. With self it is impossible. With men it is impossible. With flesh it is impossible. But not with God. Oh, hallelujah. For with God all things are possible. Hallelujah. With God all things are possible. Notice that Jesus did not run after this man and try to bring him back again. He turned to his staff that day and he instructed them how hard it is for anybody who trusts in riches. That's what he said. 
trust in riches. An I listen to me, beloved, and that's what he said. Trust in riches. An I listen to me, beloved, an idol in your life is anything that you love, trust in, or give your attention to before God. You and I have got to wake up to know as modern-day believers and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that God is first in our lives. And if God is not first in our lives, He will not allow you or He will not allow any of us to mix Him up with the rest of our stuff. God will not allow Himself to be placed in a sack with the rest of our stuff and pulled out when we feel like looking at him and pulled out when we feel like praying and pulled out of our bag of goodies that's not God if that's the kind of God you're serving you're lost or fairly flat well on your way to becoming lost some people like this young man was un is unwilling to forsake their idols and follow God. What is an idol? An idol could be anything. It could be sports. It could be food. It could be television. It could be music. It could be clothes. It could be a spouse. It could be children. <clears throat> it could be a church. It could be a pastor. If you're just willing to blindly follow what anybody says, but it doesn't line up with the Word of God, you're following an idol. That pastor, that evangelist, that person in the ministry has become an idol to you if you don't even check out what they say and you just follow it because they're your guru or something or other. You, you laugh, but it's going on. It's going on every day in the body of Christ. What might be an idol to, to one person may not be an idol to another. Look what the Bible says in Leviticus 26.1. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> God is plain. He says, you shall not make idols for yourselves. You shall not make idols for yourselves. I want you to know, you are the one that does the idol making. By trusting it or loving it or giving your attention to it before the Lord God. Notice also that Jesus did not say, didn't I tell you if you obey the word the Father gave me just for you and give up this money, he'll give you a hundredfold return? Oh, now I've got to say that again. <clears throat> Jesus did not try to appeal to manipulate this man's idol. He did not say to him, come on, man, just sow this into my ministry and I'll pray the Father and he'll give you a hundredfold return. Didn't say that. Many ministers are doing that all over the world today. <clears throat> They're promising a hundredfold return from God in order to get people to respond to the word of the Lord. So the motive for that giving becomes give to get. And I've even heard people try to justify that motive. I can't find that in the Bible. If this was correct, then Jesus blew it. He should have focused in on the return rather than the cost. You don't believe in the hundredfold return, Brother Paxton? I do. I do. Absolutely. <clears throat> I believe if your motive is correct, 
I believe if you're giving in obedience to the word of the Lord, I believe if the Spirit of God moves upon you, speaking to your heart <clears throat> to sow money into a certain place, and you are obedient and you do it, <clears throat> then God will bring you a return and a reward. I also believe if you're giving in order to get, you have bought the lie that has ensnared our entire culture in America today has deceived the church in America today and your giving is out of order and out of line. I believe that. There was a day I might not have said that. There was a time I might not have been able to preach what I'm preaching to you right now. But I see a church in America in the year 2000 that is almost virtually undistinguishable from the conservative people of our society. <laughs> you see, the early church was a counterculture. The early church was easily distinguished from any other group of the culture and the society of that day. And one of the major things that drew people to the early church was their high standards of moral excellence. Today, the Christian church, and oh God, I know I'm not going to win friends when I say this, but the Christian church today is totally almost undistinguishable from our society. We are motivated by the same fears, the same greed, the same lasciviousness, the same concupiscence, the same idolatry. What matters most, it seems like, to most believers these days is the almighty dollar bill. And let me tell you straight out, I am not opposed to the prosperity of God. I am not opposed to the blessings and the increasings of God. But we cannot come to God with idols in our hearts. We are called to come out from among the world and be separate from them. We march to a different drum beat. We dance to a different tune. Amen. We are motivated by different codes of conduct, if you will, for want of a better word. We have a different spirit we're supposed to have. I could bog down there and preach all day. I really could. I, 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 you know, we are so stinking selfish and greedy in the church today that we oftentimes don't even give because we love we don't give to be a blessing we don't give to help we give to get and if that's your sole and primary motive for giving you've wasted your time you've wasted God's time and you've wasted your money if give to get is correct then Jesus should have focused on the return rather than the cost Notice that Jesus did not try to entice this man into the kingdom by the blessings of the kingdom. Now, let's read on a little further and watch in amazement at what Jesus goes on to say. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels 
who shall not receive a hundredfold in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come they will receive eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last first. Jesus looks at these disciples who have already forsaken all to follow him, and he said, you will receive a hundred times as much in what you have given up now in this life, houses and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. If money had been Peter, James, John, and Andrew's motive for leaving and following Jesus, they would have never left their businesses. They were not even aware. When they hooked up with Jesus, when they came out to follow Christ, they were not even aware of the hundredfold return promise. This was the first they'd ever heard of it. You see, they knew that Jesus had the words of life. And so they left all that they had. Money was not an idol in their lives. God has never demanded a person to be perfect in order to follow Jesus. He only asked for obedience. This rich young ruler probably possessed characteristics that were much more dignified than Peter's. However, you see the difference is Peter was willing to do anything the Lord asked him. Peter had problems. But basically, Peter was willing to follow the Lord. This is what Jesus means when he calls us to forsake all to follow him. Amen? He doesn't mean that you and I shouldn't have anything. He doesn't mean that as Christians we've got to live in bone-grinding poverty down on the end of just barely getting by street, living in some old rickety, run-down, dilapidated shack. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to be willing to turn our back on anything that he lays his hand upon and follow him where he wants us to go. Let me encourage you today. Don't go to hell over a dollar bill. Don't go to hell over a promotion on the job. Anything that the Lord would touch in your life and call you out from it, you be willing in obedience to Him to leave it. But you see, we have deviated from this path today. I'm firmly convinced that this is the number one reason for America's failing spiritual condition. We have made born-again Christians so easy to access that the way of truth has been grossly distorted. And this is the reason that God the Holy Ghost right now, as we enter into a brand new millennium, this is the reason God the Holy Ghost is sending forth a call to his people to repent and to forsake the idols of our hearts and turn to Jesus Christ and have a love affair with him. Turn back to the heart of God. And in this way, the Holy Spirit is making ready a people 
to meet their Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I didn't get this message done today. But as I close, I want to ask you, are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ today? Have you forsaken every idol of your heart? Is there anything that you're holding back that you would not release it if God asked you to? Is there anything that rises higher in your agenda, your life of serving self, that rises higher than God? If there is, my friend, you need to forsake those things. And I want to have a word of prayer as we close out this little time. We're going to pick up the teaching here next time. But I want to have a word of prayer with you. And Christian, if, if you're listening at me right now and I've described you, just lay your faith out on the line today and turn your heart back to the heart of God. And he'll receive you. And he'll clean you up, and he'll wash you, and he'll set you back out on the right path. Amen? Dear Father, as I pray right now in Jesus' mighty name, Lord, I ask that you reveal the idols that are in us. Reveal those things about us that are so unchristlike. I'm talking about the real Christ of the Bible. Reveal those thoughts and those attitudes, those tendencies, those areas of sin within our lives, and touch us, dear Father, and cause our hearts to rise up within us and repent and turn from those things and return to our first love today, to return to our first love today, and let us forsake all to follow you. And let us, dear Father, count the cost. Let us desire to be truly called disciples of Jesus Christ. Truly disciples, followers, imitators, learners of Jesus Christ. And perform that work within our hearts, Holy Spirit, right now. And we stand in repentance for those things that have kept us from your glory and from your best. Wash us in the blood today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody would say, Amen and Amen. Now I know these aren't easy words to hear. But I believe that the thing that the Holy Spirit's doing as we've entered into this brand new millennium, He is calling us home. We are in a time of transition. We're moving closer and closer and closer to the consummation of the kingdom of God. To the consummation of the ages. And the Spirit of God is preparing a bride without spot, without wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And this is so much on the heart of God today. Now until the next time that we come together, and we get in close around the Word of God and let the Spirit of God just speak to us prophetically in our hearts. This is Brother Paxton saying, go with God and He will go with you.